0: Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is September the 8th, 2017. Hope you've had a good week. It's certainly been a very difficult week um, for people in Houston and that part of the country. And now, certainly, uh, Florida seems to be staring down the barrel of of yet another horrific, monstrous hurricane and yet another one in the on deck circle, apparently coming in. Right behind Irma is Jose. What a uh, year for weather, for for, um, disasters. Almost sounds like a bad movie, but wherever you are, I hope you're safe. I hope you and your family are doing well, and I thank you for joining me. And talking about disasters and catastrophes, uh, today is September the 8th. This coming Monday, we will observe the 16th, it's hard to believe it, but the 16th anniversary of the terror attacks of September 11, 2001. And what I think we lose sight of is that for people of my generation and people younger than me, 9-11 was a watershed moment. We will never forget where we were when we heard what was were happening. It was kind of like when I was a kid and we found out that President Kennedy had been assassinated. When we found out that Space Shuttle Challenger blew up, it's one of those moments Um, that although it was a national or a global story, had a personal impact on all of us. But what we're losing sight of is that 16 years ago, kids in high school, many of them weren't even born yet. To them, 9-11 is history, and it's a history lesson that is not being adequately taught, from what I understand, in all too many of our public schools. The other day I was speaking with a young man, and uh, he was a producer on a program, and we got into a discussion about 9-11. And he said, you know, Mr. Cutler, to be honest with you, I think he said he was 22 years old. He said, you know, I was just a couple of years old when it happened. I really don't know much about 9-11. And it caused me to to think. And I said to him, you know, um, I'm sure you studied Pearl Harbor. He said, oh, we absolutely studied Pearl Harbor in high school but we really didn't pay much attention to 9-11. Now, I find that astonishing. I find it astonishing because certainly Pearl Harbor should be taught, absolutely must be taught, but how in the world schools believe that they are fulfilling their obligation to get young kids who are preparing for life to truly be prepared for life when such a momentous, situation 9-11 what it represented the threats that we still face there has been no armistice the all clear hasn't sounded we now are, are, are you know friends with the japanese i got an award from the japanese national police for helping them with the narcotics investigation certainly japan is not our enemy but radical islamist terrorists are as virulent and as determined to kill us today as they were on September 11, 2001, as they were back in February of 1993 when they bombed the Trade Center and killed six people and injured more than a 1,000 and inflicted over a half billion dollars in damages. This war is ongoing, and yet the schools, while they teach Pearl Harbor, somehow don't believe they need to be teaching about the War on Terror. And this is an education that's preparing young Americans to be good citizens, to be prepared for life, to be able to understand how to cope with issues, how to devise strategies, how to understand the threats that we face so that we are prepared. Very disturbing. And that's what this program is about, to provide the information that the mainstream media not only won't provide but twists so that it becomes virtually impossible to understand what the news is if they report on it at all. You know, there's an interesting saying or a question, a rhetorical question, that asks if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there, does it make a sound? Maybe the question we should be asking, if the tree falls in the forest and only reporters are there, are they willing to report on it? You'd have to wonder what the agenda of the day is, I suppose. And that's why I write for a bunch of websites. If you're familiar with me, if you're familiar with my program, the work that I've been doing ever since the terrible day nearly 16 years ago, um, I now write for a number of websites. So let me tell you where I write. Uh, you probably know about it. If I'm being redundant, forgive me. But it's kind of like the only dumb question is the one you don't ask, and the only dumb statement is the one you don't make. So the three websites that I really want you to focus on um, I write for CapsWeb.org, Californians for Population Stabilization. Don't be turned off uh, by the name California. What they're experiencing, all of America is experiencing. And I've been working with them for a number of years, writing articles for them. My most recent article was last month. I'll have another one out shortly. And I focused on how we are educating America's adversaries, China, the Saudis. India is not an adversary, at least geopolitically but certainly economically they're adversaries. They want to beat us in the marketplace. We have over a half million foreign students in the United States right now studying the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, and math. China has more than 150,000 such students in the United States. And then they go on, these students, if they're here on H-1B or other type visas, like, I'm sorry, if they're here on student visas, they go on to do practical training and then they come back and seek to get H-1B visas. The whole idea is to bring in an army of foreign workers. And the lie that we keep hearing is, well, Americans aren't qualified. We don't have enough Americans. And you hear from folks like Ted Cruz, you know, American exceptionalism. This is American exceptionalism. And by the way, Ted Cruz wanted to bring in, when he was running for president, and even before that, uh, he wanted a a five-fold increase in the number of H-1B visas. If you truly believe in American exceptionalism, and I certainly do, then the world's best and brightest have a name. We call them Americans. So why in the world would you want to flood America with more foreign labor? I'll tell you why, to drive down the wages. Alan Greenspan was perfectly clear about it when he testified for Chuck Schumer back in uh, April of 2009, April the 30th. And so this creates a, a monstrous problem for American workers but it also creates a monstrous problem for national security. And that's really what I want to talk about today. Uh, Next week I will be in Colorado. I will be the uh, keynote speaker at Constitution Week in Grand Lake. So I was debating, do I discuss 9-11 the Friday before or the Friday after the anniversary? So uh, with this opportunity to travel to Colorado to share my perspectives with a bunch of great Americans, uh, we're going to talk about it today. But we're going to talk about 9-11 from the perspective of immigration. You know, I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I've been involved with the arrest and prosecution and investigation of terrorists here in the United States. So it's an it's a topic that's close to my heart, one that I have significant familiarity with, which is why I guess the 9-11 Commission uh, wanted my testimony. And I've testified before numerous congressional hearings in the House and Senate about immigration and particularly um, how failures make us vulnerable to transnational criminals and international terrorists. So that's going to be my focus. But understand, we're not just going to talk about terrorism. Understand that the programs that this government has been enacting for decades has facilitated the entry and embedding of the terrorists. Um, let, me, let me begin by reading something to you and this is from the preface of the 9-11 commission staff report on terrorist travel this was an official report that was prepared by the lawyers and the federal agents who were assigned to work with the 9-11 commission and right from the very beginning fresh out of the barrel right off the finish the starting gate it starts out by saying this this is the first sentence in the preface of the report It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa, and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons that we discuss in the following pages, that it must be made one. So, right from the get-go, border security is national security. And look at the Congress having arguments over whether or not to build a wall on the Mexican border. But please understand, that's not the only place where we have a border. And this is something I've been writing about and speaking about and testifying about ever since 9-11, and even before that. Any state that has an international airport is a border state. Almost all of the terrorists have entered the United States through ports of entry. Airports. Airports. It's in the 9-11 Commission report. But understand, we have a northern border and a southern border. The northern border is twice as long, roughly, as the Mexican border. The situation with Canada is quite different from the situation with Mexico because Canada, um, I've had the privilege of working with Canadian Royal Mounted Police and and, uh, local police from Canada and so forth. Their people are as trustworthy as are ours. The RCMP is every bit as professional and conscientious and trustworthy as the best federal agents from the United States. I had the privilege of working with a bunch of them. I've had meetings with with the Canadian officials um you know at, at the Canadian embassy in Washington and elsewhere but nevertheless they have a problem with terrorism and we have a problem with drugs and criminals flowing between the two countries wherever you have an opportunity to cross international borders terrorists and criminals will seize that opportunity to evade the long arm of the law and to travel around the world so they can conduct meetings and training and Engage in, 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 uh, if you want to call it fundraising, it sounds like a charity, certainly not, but often charitable organizations, so-called, are really fronts for criminal or terrorist organizations. So the Canadian border is problematic. No insult to the Canadian government, and I'm sure that our bad guys going to Canada don't please them either. Mexico is a unique situation because it teeters on failure as a state. Because of massive violence, massive corruption, uh, it's a whole nother story. But please don't think that if we could seal the Mexican border, the problem goes away. We also have 95,000 miles of coastline. More opportunities for bad guys to enter the United States and ply their trades, whether it's criminal activity or terrorist activity. Dangerous situation. And the regulation and enforcement of laws that pertain to foreign nationals entering the United States falls squarely on the shoulders of immigration. That's why they put immigration under the Department of Homeland Security. But the way it was done by the Bush administration, if you look at the statements made by John Hostetler when he chaired the House Immigration Subcommittee, and he was a Republican, is a Republican, and I testified for John a bunch of times he was crystal clear that the way that they had configured DHS under the Bush administration made it impossible to secure the borders or enforce our immigration laws. And then he went on and said, and because of that, the very issue that caused the creation of DHS, the failures of border security and immigration law enforcement, not only were not addressed by the creation of DHS, but were hobbled by the creation of DHS. Both political parties are in on this. They are globalists. President Trump is not. And if you wonder why you see all this animosity aimed at Donald Trump, primarily it's because he believes in a sovereign America with secure borders, and his adversaries do not. They don't care that people die. They don't care that drugs flood the country. They don't care because the United States Chamber of Commerce and its allies in industry and elsewhere and labor unions, and the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and so many politicians from both parties either practice immigration law or have friends who practice immigration law. They are far more fixated with head counts on airplanes than body counts in the morgue. They want foreign workers to come here because the corporations that make the campaign contributions want that so they can drive down wages. This is about cheap labor. And never forget that on a slave ship, there's always room for more oarsmen. And this isn't just people doing the bottom-rung economic, bottom-rung jobs. This includes the high-tech workers, the H-1B visas. And along comes Donald Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who's a brilliant attorney. I would argue the best attorney general we've had in generations, the most dedicated, the most professional, and the most compassionate, by the way. How in the world... Do so We talk about immigration and compassion and ignore the plight of the American people. When I was with the INS, Doris Meisner, who was the commissioner under um, Bill Clinton, told immigration employees that we needed to be customer oriented. And I made this point when I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee a couple of years ago at the invitation of that great senator, Chuck Grassley, from Iowa. And I said, So Doris Meisner comes out and says, We've got to be customer oriented. I agreed where i disagreed with doris was she was convinced that the customers of the immigration service were illegal aliens foolish mike cutler i believe that our customers were american citizens our immigration laws were initially enacted to protect national security to protect public safety and public health and to protect the livelihood of american workers what a quaint thought And today our borders and our immigration laws are seen as impediments to the wealth of the corporate executives who are making a hundred million dollars a year or whatever the hell they're paying them. You know, back in the fifties and sixties, the average CEO might make 50 times, 60 times what his um, employees were earning at the bottom rung. Good salary, good salary today. Some of these corporate CEOs are making more than 500 times what their employees are earning. And what's remarkable is it means that the money is not being reinvested in the companies. If it's a a publicly held company, it means that the shareholders are not getting the return on their investment that they should be getting. The employees are certainly getting shafted. Everyone's being screwed but the folks at the top of the food chain. And that's what we're witnessing when you get on an airplane. Look at how the airlines treat its customers. When I was a kid, I was told the customer is always right. My first job, I worked in a little kosher deli here in New York, in Brooklyn. And the people there that owned the deli told me the customer is always right. If you went to a store, they would tell you the customer is always right. Today, the customer is who you want to take advantage of. I love when banks talk about the products they offer. A product is a car. A product is a clothes washer. A product uh, is an iPhone, perhaps, or a set of earphones, or a desk, or a chair. A product isn't a piece of paper with a scam on it. Three-card Monty is not a product, but we are being scammed. or being scammed by the politicians, and we're being scammed by them at the behest of corporate America, and a long list of special interest groups that don't give a rat's tail about America or Americans and only care about the bottom line of their bank accounts and their profit statements. And that's how we got into the mess. So you look at DACA and you look at 9-11 and understand what we're talking about. The aliens who are part of DACA might not even be children, and I've written about it. Go to Front Page Magazine. You can see how I wrote about it. I wrote articles for Fox News Latino right after President Obama created this monstrosity back in 2012. But the point is, these aliens may well be as old as 36 years of age. They may have entered the United States last year and claimed they got here 10 years ago. There was even a story about an alien uh, who was killed when that trailer um, was overheated, and people died in the trail, if you remember that terrible story in Texas. Well, this guy was from Guatemala. He'd been deported. He was coming back. He'd been a DACA recipient. He lost it because he's alleged to become a member of MS-13, had a rap sheet that involved an assault committed by a mob. Apparently, he was part of that mob. And then the newspaper accounts and the TV accounts were so sympathetic. Well, we spoke to his lifelong friend, and they said, Ignore the rap sheet. He was a nice guy with a nice smile. Ignore the rap sheet. Ignore the fact that he was here illegally, right? Ignore the people, perhaps, that he hurt, maybe killed. Who knows? Because he had a nice smile, and he only wanted to be with his family. And you could say the same thing of a guy that breaks out of jail, right? The guy's doing time in prison for armed robbery, and he shot someone. He escaped from prison. Oh, he didn't escape from prison. He missed his wife. He really wanted to spend the night, that night with his wife because they didn't have conjugal visits in the jail. Could you imagine that kind of an idiotic story? But that's what we're hearing here. Let's keep thinking about the poor guy. Yes, he might be a gang member. Yes, he may have beaten some people up. Yes, he might have done even more heinous things. But after all, he only wanted to be with his family. What are you so upset about? What are you so upset about? We're being intimidated into not standing up for ourselves. We're giving people lawful status, and that's what they wanted to do under DACA, make it permanent, with no interview, no field investigation. People who snuck into the country were given lawful status for a two-year period. The courts ruled that this is illegal. DAPA, not DACA, but DAPA, this is the deferred action for the parents of these so-called children, The courts have ruled against it, said that it was an overreach by the executive branch, that President Obama had no right to do it, and there was a whole big deal about how even after the courts told him to stop doing it, he continued to do it in defiance of the courts. Now Chuck Schumer comes out and says, this this cruel Donald Trump and Obama, cruel Donald Trump, he has no consideration. He refuses to extend DACA. You want the president to commit an illegal act because Obama was flaunting the law? And I find it remarkable. Mr. Obama, has uh, claimed to fame, oh, I was, I was a constitutional law instructor. Really? Well, there's something called checks and balance. And at least a half dozen times before he implemented DACA, what did Obama say? I don't have the authority to do this. And then he went and did it. And then he went and did it. After he told everyone, I can't do this. And then he woke up one morning and said, and why not? Who cares about the Constitution? Who cares about my oath of office? And if anybody's listening to me and saying, well, there's Cutler. He's just a hater. He's some right-wing conservative. Full disclosure, folks, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. Can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat. The wheels have come off their wagon. They are not Democrats. People say, how can you be a Democrat? It's easy, folks. I'm a Democrat. The Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party used to stand for hardworking, blue-collar Americans, people like my father, who is one of my biggest heroes, will always be one of my biggest heroes in the world, he and my mom. They were heroic. My father was a construction worker. He was a tradesman, a tradesman, someone who actually did something productive, unlike the, the folks out there in the fancy suits who swindle every American they possibly can. The con artists who work for the banks and the insurance companies and, and, and all that other nonsense where it's all about the bottom line and the hell with country and the hell with your fellow Americans. The Democratic Party used to stand for the hardworking American. And the Republican Party used to stand uh, with and for the business owner. And you know what? Both sides of that equation have reasonable concerns and interests. The businessmen puts his life savings into a business he wants to be successful, he wants to realize his life dream, but he needs to respect the fact that the people who work for him help him to make that dream possible. You know, I, I like to use the analogy. When you consider the incredible success of American soldiers at D-Day, and we can go to other battles and other wars and other soldiers and other generals, but let's use D-Day. How did D-Day become successful? Was it because of the brilliance of General Eisenhower? And I think he was brilliant. I thought he was an amazing president. Or was it because of the soldiers willing to lay down their lives, these kids who landed on Normandy, whether by sea or by air? Many of them killed. Many of them shot up. All of them forever changed by what they experienced, even when they survived. Who takes credit for D-Day? I'll tell you what I think. And I said this when I was standing in front of a room filled with Air Force generals and colonels, and I have the privilege of working with the Speakers Bureau in Washington. I'll be uh, heading, in fact, to St. Louis, and I'll be heading to Washington at the end of the month. I I work with Alan Freed Associates, Alan L. Freed, and they do seminars for the military and the intelligence services. And I was standing in front of this room filled with Air Force brass, and I, I, I posed the question, who do you credit more or who do you credit with the success of D-Day? And my argument is they both, both sides of that equation get equal credit. Without the brilliance of Eisenhower and the other military leaders, D-Day couldn't have worked. The stuff they did was amazing. If you look at you know, Operation Overlord was D-Day, but there was Operation Fortitude, the deception at Calais where we convinced the Nazis that our soldiers were going to be coming in through Calais They had to split their forces. I mean, there were so many things that went on. Really, I I, I hated history back in school because it wasn't taught properly. The same thing, we could talk about math and, and how really the educational system should be doing so much better. But it's amazing. It's amazing what those strategists did. But never, ever for a heartbeat, never, ever for a moment, forget the gallantry and the sacrifices of the soldiers who died, of the soldiers who came back missing limbs or otherwise grievously injured. They are no less to be credited than Eisenhower and the generals. If you have a successful business, of course it's the business owner who has every right to puff out his or her chest and say, look what I created. But unless it's a one-person operation, you didn't do it by yourself, you did it, with the able help of the people who work for you and both sides need to respect each other respect is so damn important and it's gone out the window because we live in a country divided divided by the journalists by the pollsters by the political pundits by the politicians they've divided us by latino voter and black voter and jewish voter and christian voter damn it folks we're americans we're americans I was a federal agent for so many years, and I, when I got into that car, whether the person sitting next to me was a man or a woman, Christian or, or Jew, black, white, Latino, Asian, who cared? I was a fellow agent, a fellow law enforcement officer. I had the privilege of working very closely with New York City Police Department. Again, every flavor of the month, we're Americans. That's all that mattered. That's all that should matter. You know, you hear these politicians or, or, or whatever, the guys on the other side from the president jumping up and down, how could the president pardon Joe Arpaio, Joe Arpaio profiled? You know what? Profiling is legitimate in law enforcement, provided you don't just look at skin color. Unless you get a call over the radio, there's a black guy that just robbed a bank, or there's a white guy who just raped a woman. Well, if they tell you over the radio a white guy just raped a woman, I don't think you're going to be stopping a black guy or, or an Asian guy uh, because he, he doesn't match the description. So in, in, in that sort of an instance, yeah, you've got to look at one factor, maybe age or maybe the color of a shirt. But when you look at most profiling in law enforcement, it involves circumstance, totality of circumstances, behavior, location, time of day, a, a whole bunch of issues. And the courts have ruled that that is legitimate, acceptable, and proper, proactive law enforcement. But when you have journalists and pollsters and politicians and political pundits talking about how the president is going to gain or lose the Latino voter, what do they know about the voter? Only one thing, that the person has a last name like Rodriguez or Sanchez or Hernandez, because he's a Latino voter. And after all, when you've seen one Latino voter, you've seen them all. And that is how America has been shattered into little pieces. Now, you mix into that toxic brew, how many people don't speak, read, or write English because we have overwhelmed the systems, the educational system and every other system, with record percentages, not just numbers, but record percentages of people from other countries, legal and illegal, who have flooded America, where people don't even speak a common language. We don't need a common religion. We don't need a common race or ethnicity. Part of why I love living in New York is because it's so diverse. It makes New York an exciting place. I'm a native New Yorker, and on 9-11, it was my town that was attacked. But darn it, we need a common language if we're going to function as a cohesive society. We have turned America into a tower of Babel, And the media continues to harp on black voter, Latino voter, this voter, that voter, and no one says, gee whiz, all Americans want the same thing. All Americans, and I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, it doesn't matter. If you're a rational individual, you want the military to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. If you're a rational American, you want to know that law enforcement is going to keep the streets safe and keep the drugs and the gangs off the streets so that you and your family, your children, can go about their day-to-day lives without fear of being attacked by some thug. And you want to know that the schools are going to educate our kids so that any American, irrespective of what I call the superficial factors, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American willing to study hard, work hard, and benefit from a little bit of good luck for good measure, can write the next great American success story. But that's not the message we're getting in the media. The message in the media by design is divisive. We separate people by race, by religion, by ethnicity. If you want to look at demographics and talk about how the, the American who doesn't have a college degree is more concerned about illegal aliens taking his or her job, that makes sense. If you want to talk about how the American who has the Ph.D. is concerned that perhaps he may lose his job to an H-1B visa holder from India, that makes sense. If you want to talk about someone's age, whether they're close to retirement or just coming out of school, that makes sense. But when you divide Americans up by their race, by their religion, by their ethnicity, folks, it's racism by definition. It's bigotry by definition. It's disgusting. But no one stops to think about it. And we've been intimidated that if you dare complain, there's something wrong with you. 9-11 killed The attacks of 9-11, everyone says, well, 3,000 people were killed. Folks, the total body count isn't in yet. There's something known as the the Drug Act, named for a New York City police detective who died because of the toxins he was exposed to by working at Ground Zero. Thousands upon thousands of people are still suffering, suffering with terrible cancers and diseases that... Scientists and doctors have determined they're a direct result of what they were exposed to when the World Trade Center collapsed. The body count isn't done yet. But the politicians are unwilling to accept the idea that we have to look at immigration as a key factor in the war on terror. They need to go back and look at the 9-11 Commission report, but they won't. And they won't do it because they are being paid well called campaign contributions, I call it bribery, to ignore the vulnerabilities created by multiple failures of the immigration system. Remember what I just read to you from the preface, border security is national security, and then you hear the lie. Well, these four people are hiding in the shadows. If we can get them out of the shadows, then we could all be safer. Well, understand when you're dealing with millions of people, there is no way – to do field investigations, or even do a face-to-face interview. So let me read to you another paragraph that comes from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. And I want you to, as I read this to you, I want you to think about this idea about DACA, where we, or the politicians, want President Trump, and and I don't know, I hope that, that he doesn't want them to actually enact legislation to give these people lawful status, because, again, there will, no, there will not be a capacity for face-to-face interviews and not a capacity to do field investigations. We are flying blindly in a storm. That's what we're talking about. Now, don't for a moment think that I'm not being compassionate and feel bad for, for kids who legitimately came here as they claim. What I mean by legitimately, they came illegally, but as they claim they did. In fact, they're telling the truth. But why did they come here? They came because they were enticed. They were enticed by Barack Obama. They were enticed by George W. Bush. They were enticed by the Clintons. If you could just get to America, we'll make sure that you can stay here. When I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee, besides talking about Doris Meisner, I said that the policies of the Obama administration had, in essence, fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from around the world. And for those folks, the finish line is the border of the United States. Once you get past the border, you're home free. It's like a marathon. And they start, They fired that starter's pistol. And by the way, before I read this 9-11 report, there's two other points that I want to make, and I want you to pay attention to this, because you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Uh, you may hear it in the piece I did. Uh, I was just interviewed by Claire Hardwick over at One American News Network, and I know that it has already aired. I haven't seen it yet. Someone A few people have reached out to me to thank me for what I had to say, and I believe Claire does a really great job. It was a delight to be interviewed by her. And on Monday, I'm going to be on the Daily Ledger, Graham Ledger, again, One American News Network, to talk about 9-11. But let me tell you what you're not going to hear in the mainstream media. Number one, if we legalize these 800,000 illegal aliens, It doesn't stop there. See, everyone is saying, well, it's only for these 800,000. Stop and and listen to what you're not going to hear anyplace else, which is probably why they don't want immigration agents on the other networks. Newsmax, they want to know. The Dana Show is supposed to be on with Dana. They had technical difficulties. She was in a new studio. And and poor Dana Loesch, Uh, I could hear her. She couldn't hear me. It was almost like that, that cell phone commercial, can you hear me now? I hope to join her again soon. I'm proud that I've become something of a regular on a terrific show over at Blaze TV. But but what you're not going to hear in the mainstream media is that if you give lawful status to these DACA aliens, once they get a green card, the clock starts to tick. Five years after they get a green card, they are eligible to become American citizens. Under current immigration law, and Donald Trump is trying to change this, this is what's known as chain migration. Every alien who becomes an American citizen, whether it's a DACA alien or any other alien, has the immediate, absolute, unquestioned right to petition the government to bring in their mothers and fathers, all of their brothers and all of their sisters, and if their brothers and sisters are married then they get to bring with them spouses and every single one of their minor children. So if you come from a country where typically a family of six or seven children is the norm and not the exception, and somebody gets a green card and then he becomes a citizen and he has six brothers and sisters, well, they're in their spouses are in, and if they each have six children, their six minor children are in. Do the math. One new American citizen can bring to the United States, believe it or not, believe it or not, 60, 70, 75 more people. If that doesn't blow your mind, check for a pulse. It has to stop. I have argued that the way I would run the system, if the person that you're filing a petition or that you should only be able to file a petition to somebody who could reasonably be expected to be part of your health insurance program, perhaps with the exception of of your parents, because perhaps you and your wife are working, you have children, you want them to take care of your kids so you can go to work. I don't have a problem with that, and they're not going to be working if they're retired. That's fine. And you have to foot the bill, of course. Let them come live with you. I have no problem with that. But to bring in all of your siblings who are of prime working age and all of their spouses and all of their children, this is a geometric progression. We can't do this anymore. So that's one of the negatives to all this. But now the negative also is one that links back to 9-11. And I want to read to you how immigration fraud plays into it. Remember, no interviews, no field investigations, right? So, here from the 9 11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel is yet another paragraph that I want you to listen very carefully to. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming that he had picked beans in Florida. Mahmoud Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program but was rejected. Ayad Mohammed Ismail, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa. After he dropped out, he remained in the United States after status. Then we get to page 61, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials, quote-unquote, necessary to aid terrorist travel. The Dreamers were smuggled aliens. And if only a handful of terrorists, look at the damage done on 9-11 by 19 terrorists. Look at the damage done at the Boston Marathon by two brothers. Look at the damage done at San Bernardino by that husband and wife. Look at the damage that almost was done by Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, who came on a student visa, ultimately became a United States citizen and lied on his visa application. And the only remorse he expressed when he was sentenced to life in jail was that that he didn't kill anybody. His bob kind of fizzled. Think about that. And so then we come to this final paragraph on page 98 under the title of Immigration Benefits. Again, think 9-11, folks. That's what we're talking about. And we're talking about massive amnesty programs that would provide opportunities, ample opportunities for illegal aliens who have no real right to be here to defraud the system for purposes only known to them. Here's here's the paragraph I want you to pay close attention to. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in. Or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. And I'm going to interrupt myself to tell you: temporary worker status is exactly what DACA is: temporary worker status, deferred action putting off the requirement of leaving the country temporarily, and they were given permission to work. Okay? So here it is, right? As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. Think DACA, temporary worker status, folks. This is not a game. People's lives are hanging in the balance. And it goes on and says, after temporary worker status or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. It's crystal clear. Yet, nobody ever talks about the 9-11 Commission or its report or its findings when we talk about DACA, when we talk about amnesty, when we talk about sympathy for people who shouldn't be here. We entice these illegal aliens to come here, Shame on our corrupt government. And by the way, I want you to think about this also. We keep hearing the lie from the liars in politics. Boy, isn't that redundant, lying politician? It's almost a redundant term, isn't it? The borders have never been more secure. Can you remember that mocking look in Mr. Obama's face when he stood there in El Paso? five years ago, whenever it was, and he said, those other folks are never going to be happy. The border is secure. What do they want, a moat? Do they want us maybe to put alligators in the moat? Do you folks remember that little outrageous statement that he made with that sneer and snicker and all the catcalls from his adoring audience yucking it up in El Paso? El Paso, where bullets had flown across the Rio Grande from arguably the most dangerous city in the Western Hemisphere, Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. And I've been to El Paso. I was there to meet with a law firm for a week. I was working as an expert witness on a case. And my hotel was about three or four blocks from the Mexican border. And I was in the top floor of the hotel, and my room happened to face south. Happened to face south. And I'm sorry I didn't bring binoculars because I was very curious because every night for the eight days that I was in El Paso, what did I see but police cars racing from one place to another place to another place to another place, constantly at night, the red lights flashing and racing across the horizon, apparently from one shooting to another. But there was Mr. Obama in that very same city a couple of weeks or months before I was down there talking about what? Oh, these folks aren't going to be happy until we put alligators in the moat. So here's the question that no one ever asked Napolitano or Obama or George W. Bush, for that matter, for whom I have little use also in terms of what he did with immigration, especially especially after 9 11. Those ashes landed on my house, my neighbors died, and I had testified about immigration and the nexus between immigration, visa fraud, immigration fraud, and terrorism four and a half years before the attacks of 9-11. I think anybody who's been, who's here on that day still suffers from post-traumatic stress. But we kept hearing the borders have never been more secure. So here's the question that no one's ever asked on TV. Are you guys ready? If the borders were so damn secure, how did those 800,000 dreamers get here? How are the drugs pouring across the border? The demand for heroin has never been higher, but the price of heroin has never been cheaper. That flies in the face of supply and demand, classic economics. The only way that the demand for heroin could be in the stratosphere and the price for heroin could be in the basement is if there's virtually an unlimited supply of heroin. Given that it's smuggled into the country, it tells you all you need to know about border security. But if you still have doubts, how did those dreamers come here? Now, here's something else for you to consider. The word alien. Boy, you use that word, and you are marked as a bigot, a racist, and every other thing you could imagine, right? Don't you dare say alien. They are undocumented, right? That started with Jimmy Carter, with that bit of deception. Now, here's the question. If the word alien is so despicable Does anybody out there know what the A in DREAM Act stands for? You guessed it alien, as in alien miners. Is it not remarkably hypocritical that as long as the open borders anarchists could somehow link immigration to the American dream, a dream that few Americans can even imagine attaining anymore, given the corruption of our alleged? Leaders, both parties. Then it became palatable to talk about aliens, alien dreamers, right? Alien miners, it was okay. But don't you dare say alien, because they will tell you you're a bigot, and the news media falls lockstep. And so, if we choose upsides, if we choose upsides, people like me who want the immigration laws enforced are branded as anti-immigrants. Anti-immigrant. My mother came here as an immigrant, legally. So many of the people I grew up with as a child came as immigrants, legal immigrants. But we've now blurred the distinction between legal immigrants and illegal aliens, and all that does is to create uh, a nightmare for lawful immigrants. Because everyone looks askance at them, because everyone presumes that no matter how you come here, you're an immigrant. It makes no distinction whether you're here legally or not. You're just an immigrant. That's outrageous. So they, 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 they've created this nightmare, and they misidentify me as being anti-immigrant while the anarchists are called pro-immigrants. I'm pro-enforcement. I hope you're pro-enforcement. I hope nobody listening to my program is anti-immigrant. You see, this is not about being opposed to immigrants. It's about being opposed to a dysfunctional, corrupt system That enables criminals and terrorists and drug dealers and gang members to come to the United States. I'm against a corrupt system that floods America with cheap foreign labor, driving the middle class into oblivion and displacing American workers with foreign workers so that American workers have no hope in their own country. That's what I oppose, but that's not being against immigration, it's being against corruption and illegal immigration. Let me give you a bit of clarity. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. So when you look at what the 9-11 Commission had to say, and then you realize that there are politicians who refuse to acknowledge that immigration was the issue. Chuck Schumer, who said that we need a federal law to make trespassing on, on um, critical infrastructure or national landmarks a five-year felony under federal law, and the next breath will tell you that people that trespass on America should be given citizenship. Citizenship. It blows my mind. And by the way, for the record, if anyone has any doubts, when I was an immigration inspector at the beginning of my career at JFK International Airport, I was there for four years, I can assure you I admitted many more foreign visitors than I denied. I admitted many more immigrants into the United States than I denied. And I was happy to do it. I was happy to do it. And when I was an adjudications officer for a year doing the marriage interviews, like you've seen on TV, I can assure you I approved many more applications for green cards than I denied. And I was very happy to take out that approval stamp and make certain that that couple got to live together because it appeared to me during my interview and so forth that they were actually living together. That interview process was part of a pilot program to weed out the fraud. And once we started locking up illegal aliens, who were involved in a marriage fraud, the number of applications fell through the floorboards. That's called deterrence through enforcement. And I was happy to approve those applications. By no one's definition is Mike Cutler anti-immigrant, but I am pro-enforcement. Our immigration laws are eminently fair and eminently essential. Go back to what the 9-11 Commission had to say. And when you see the reading of the names, and when you see all those films that are on TV the hunt for bin Laden, and all that other stuff. Please understand that if the immigration system had worked the way it was supposed to, those terrorists could never have entered the United States. Those terrorists could never have embedded themselves. In the aggregate, those 19 terrorists, according to the 9-11 Commission, used 364 aliases or variations of aliases to conceal themselves in their movement. And U.S. cities around the country... Providing sanctuary to illegal aliens whose identities and intentions in coming here are unknown and unknowable. Providing municipal ID to people who are here illegally. Again, same problem. We're giving them a level of credibility to which they are not entitled. It's not only a matter of standing on principle, folks. It's a matter of knowing what I know and knowing how this endangers national security. We have become our own worst enemy because of corporate greed and the greed of religious institutions and unions and special interest groups who don't give a damn about people and only care about how much money they can shovel into their bank accounts. I don't know if i said it today, but if if I've said it before, forgive the redundancy, but as long as the Chamber of Commerce and its allies and the hotel, hospitality, travel industries and others are more fixated with head counts on airplanes and ballparks and theaters and so forth than they are with body counts in the morgue, this isn't going to stop. But we can make it stop. It is so important as you watch and contemplate 9-11, that horrible day 16 years ago, that you reach out to your elected representative and make it clear to them that you're, you're not and we're not as dumb as they hope we are. Knowledge is power. My entire purpose, my entire purpose for this program, for doing everything that I've done since those ashes landed on my home that day, is to try to educate as many of my fellow Americans as I can, not because I have this brilliant mind, but because every day I went to work for 30 years, I saw that day at work as a day in school, as a day to learn, because I knew that I would see things, meet people, and experience situations That few other people would have access to So from day one I saw my job as a federal agent As a rare opportunity To get if you will A PhD in the streets To see what was going on in the real world Not those ivy towers Where the brilliant Professors and lawyers and judges Reside But where we the people reside And try to live our lives with Dignity, peace A modicum of success That's what it's about. We have a choice to be made, and the choice is simple. Either be part of the solution or be part of the problem. If you are a parent, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, I will tell you this. You cannot be a good parent or a good grandparent if you're not involved in politics today. See, we are, if we're good parents, concerned about the education our kids get, concerned about the health care and the nutrition, and who they're hanging out with. But if we don't get involved and stop the reckless betrayal of America and Americans by the politicians from both political parties, it's our children, folks, and it's their children, who will bear the brunt of that betrayal that plays out daily. We have the power. This is still a democracy. And we as Americans need to get together And we need to focus more on those things that make us similar than those things that make us different. We can celebrate our differences. We do it in New York when we go to the ethnic restaurants and listen to different music and see different artwork. That's great. But we need to come together as Americans with a common purpose, the survival and the protection of this great nation, our Constitution, and most importantly, the American people, irrespective of race, religion, or ethnicity. We are all Americans I thank you so much for spending This hour with me If you find my program enlightening If you find it useful Please go to the podcast Forward the link to as many people as you can Be part of my bucket brigade of truth Um, I expect to be in Colorado Next week So I, um, I do not believe there will be a show next week I apologize in advance But I'll be back the week after But I really do appreciate your taking the time out please go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Please visit capsweb.org, C-A-P-S. Go to frontpagemag.com. In fact, this um, Monday, my article should be up about my um, view on 9-11. And go to the social contract. They've got the fall issue coming out shortly, and I'll just give you the title of the article that I've written for them. The Road to Betrayal is Paved by the Words Lost to Censorship. You see, what we're witnessing today is not political correctness, but Orwellian censorship, and we need to push back. We have that right. We have that freedom. Make certain to exercise it. Have a good weekend, everybody. I look forward to seeing you again next time in two weeks right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Take care. Stay safe.